And Caro for three. If Baycott is going to help that much off of, you can work a whole possession and not get a shot that easy. Baycott goes in the air, and Mark Williams finishes, and he'll have a chance for a three-point play. Van Carroll's trying to get down in the post, but Black is fighting him. Griffin does shoot at this time, and he is feeling it. Put together a little screen. Somebody's had an answer. Often it's been Griffin. It was not this time, but it was Mark Williams, who did indeed drop it on everybody's head and has a chance for a three-point play. Completely dominated from start to finish by the Blue Devils. Tap to buzzer. Duke was a stronger team. <laughs>
Jermaine yeah, uh, had a horrendous showing and didn't start to get points till the bench was deep in. Oh for my me. god! When Mac, when Michael Savarino came in, that's when Taylor Glove really took over. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh no! Oh I'm so god. scared. Our walk-ons are getting torched by a five-star recruit who has the lowest, who as a freshman had the lowest field goal percentage by a top fifty recruit freshman since two thousand three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, I'm scared. Save me. <laughs> it's incredible. So, so actually, so obviously we're now talking about the UNC game, obviously yeah. the first topic, but on that note, Jack, it was kind of hilarious how the inverse happened this year as opposed to last year. It's actually quite the quite this uh, conundrum here. So last year, coming into both Duke games, Caleb Love was shooting somewhere around 20% from three, and then he became Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Oh, this yeah. year, actually, give credit where credit's due, he was shooting over 40% from three. Mm-hmm. And he went one of five and shot 20%. That yeah. is irony and karma at its finest. I hate Caleb Love. Mm-hmm. I just am so happy to see that. I was worried about it coming in. I was wrong. There's going to be a lot of TK was wrong in this segment. And I love <laughs> it for every reason that all Duke fans love it. But Jack, just kind of talk about the game and your overall impressions of what you witnessed last night. So... Like I said, Love and Davis, I said this on our preview podcast for the Carolina game. Those guys are much improved shooters from three, but still Davis is like, he's decent at it. Love and the entire rest of the team is not the two point jump shot. I saw a lot of two point jump shots from Carolina. Mm -hmm. I saw a lot of incredible defense from Duke denying the three point line, having Mark and Theo down low and just leaving that mid range open. Yeah. They hit a few of them, which they're bound to, but the team is like a 20 is like 27% from the mid. And Duke really allowed that. And that, I think that was a big piece, just forcing them to shoot what they can't hit. Uh, Manic, Manic played well on offense, yeah. but he played horrendously <laughs> on defense. And can, that's, that's the game there for you. Real quick, get, go, go back to what you're, go back to your train of thought in just a second, Jack. I wanted to touch on this so bad. Brady Manic was six for 10 from three. Mm-hmm. We, we, Duke fans on Twitter and everything else, we were acting like Brady Manic was just torching us like we can't guard this guy. That was by design. I guarantee you that was by design. That dude, we let him do what he wanted to do, and we made we forced them to do everything else that they did. And it was game. He was six for ten from three. The rest of the team, the rest of the squad, let's let's go through it one by one. RJ Davis, zero for three. Caleb Love, one for five. Curran Walt was one for two. Puff Johnson, 0 for one. Justin McCoy, 0 for one. DeMarco Dunn came in and and, and garbage time and got one for one. We let that happen with Brady Manning. I promise you that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there was a point where I was worried he was going to shoot them back into the game. And then I wasn't because I realized the man can't play defense for his life and hasn't had a chance to. He literally played the entire game until he got taken out toward the end when it was like he was down 28. It was the Citadel game plan. We treated UNC like they were the Citadel. Same color. Same color team, too. You know what I mean? Citadel shot much better. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. We treated them just like that. I just want to say this kind of reminds me of – game plan that the toronto raptors rolled out in 2006 let one guy do all the all the shooting and no, don't let anyone else do a damn thing correct it's, the difference is that brady manic didn't drop 81 because he he's not kobe nope nope yeah i, I didn't think I, I didn't think i was gonna drop the kobe jalen rose espn commercial oh but i love that you, commercial you yourself a favor and go watch that how many martinis, so funny how many martinis would you like or how many, how many olives how many olives like, how many olive like martini uh 81 no, I'm just Are playing. you serious? He, he no, it's an inside joke. <laughs> oh, that's so great. That's so funny. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, all right, AC, I want to keep this with you here. Defensively, you talked about defense when we did the report card. 
last podcast, mm-hmm. and you gave us B plus A minus in the defense. I was a little bit more reserved. Talk about the defense in this one, though, specifically. I mean, for for this for our team in particular, you know, game by game, it's going to change, obviously. But Carolina played right into our hands with being able to defend them. Number one, it's Hubert Davis. He's a first year coach. His his offensive game plan is pretty simple. It's there's a lot of pick and roll. There's a lot of head hunting picks. There's first pass to the wing and let the wing player initiate the offense. It's 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 very basic stuff, and we blew all of that up. Jeremy Roach blew up almost every first pass that they wanted to make to R.J. Davis. R.J. Davis had a horrific game because of Jeremy Roach. Like, people talk about how bad Jeremy is on defense, and I want you to stop doing that because he crushed this dude. Crushed Jeremy Roach is better on defense than on offense, in my opinion. Absolutely. Damn good on offense. Absolutely. I I agree. Absolutely. Wendell Moore. Well, Wendell's not going to get a lot of credit for forcing Caleb Love into a lot of bad shots because I was I was trying to look back at the game actually and I was looking back at how many shots Caleb Love missed and how many Wendell created on the misses. He didn't create a lot of missed shots. Actually, most of the missed shots Caleb Love have came, had came against Mark Williams because they tried to put Mark Williams in the pick and roll against Caleb Love. And Mark Williams did a hell of a job of guarding the perimeter of this game. It was incredible. Again, used to be able to game, game plan Mark Williams out by making him guard the perimeter. He guarded Caleb Love 20 feet out regularly this game and forced him into five bad shots between the first and second half. Mark Williams is awesome against Caleb Love. But Wendell Moore forced Caleb Love into six turnovers. Six, it was inc- Dude, it was sick. It was incredible. Wendell Moore was the one. I thought it was going to be Trevor. I thought it was going to be Jeremy. Wendell Moore was the one who took the assignment on Caleb. Shut him down, man. It was yeah. – oh, oh. Yeah, no, uh, catch your breath. So we had 40 <laughs> rebounds to their 24. Coming into, the, coming, coming into the game, you see, we were worried about what Duke, Duke – they have a couple weaknesses, right? Mm-hmm. Bad turnovers, you know, that we pretty much self-imposed. And then our ability to allow teams to just crush the offensive glass. Yeah. They only had six offensive rebounds. We dominated on the glass on both ends. Mm-hmm. We had eight turnovers in the first half, only 12 overall, so only four in the second half. But overall, our rebounding was excellent. Our defense, as he pointed out, was excellent. And I want to give a big shout out because, again, TK, this is the, the admissions podcast where <laughs> I, I gave, and hey, Jack, you know this, I've given Wendell Moore a hard time over the last couple weeks. I thought, Jack, he played excellent. I was waiting for you to say it. Wendell Moore I, played his I, have, I, gotta be honest with my, I, I told you, I got to be honest with my followers. <laughs> that was All Wendell's best game since the COVID bus. No mm-hmm. question. The man mm-hmm. shot five for six. He had 13 points. He had eight boards, five assists. He had two steals. He played no lock on defense. No turnovers. No That's turnovers. the key. That's the key. Because he had, oh, just absolutely beautiful game from him. Again, locking up Caleb Love, mm-hmm. taking any switch he got in stride and just the defense, again, I'll, I'll say the same thing I said about Jeremy. The defense has been there more more consistently than the offense for him. And, again, he's been damn good on the offense this year. Yep. And, like, and most of his points this game came off of mul- either multiple rotations or transition. That's where he's going to live. That's why we continue to say on this podcast he needs to be the fourth or fifth option on this offense because he didn't have to do too much tonight. He was able to do exactly what he wanted to do, and that's why he got those zero turnovers. The past, off the COVID pause, the past few games, he's kind of put up the same type of stat line as this, multiple assists, multiple rebounds, you know, double-digit points. He's done that since the COVID pause. It's not like he hasn't, but the big problem has been the turnovers. 
At one point, he he had as many turnovers as he had assists, and then there was a, a point after the pause where he had more turnovers than assists until he got another assist in the game. So, it, it, you know that that was so that's so big for Wendell and and for him to be able to play the way he did this game and just relax and again play without consequence and it, it was amazing. Yeah, and, and I, I want to touch on something else, Jack. You kind of alluded to this when you were talking about the the social media and stuff with uh, Theo John and Caleb Love, but can we talk about Theo John for a minute? You know, he played 13 minutes. He only took one attempt, which is that flush. Absolutely incredible. Flexing on him. After he faked out. Who was it, Trev? Was it Trevor that faked out Baycott? Yeah. Dishing it off to him. Three rebounds, two dimes, a steal. He also got screwed by the referees, but he never let it affect him. He was up in Baycott's grill the entire time he was in. I asked, asked exactly what we Asked to see, and he delivered. I want to talk about Theo John real quick, Jack. I thought that what he did was exactly what we brought him in to do, be the enforcer. Oh, that's actually the exact word I was going to use. Remember the caption that Caleb Love used and that Theo used? Everybody savage until you go face-to-face with one. That's Baycott. That's Baycott with Theo. He tried to fight. He tried to fight Theo. He tried to fight Theo. He would have died. He would have died. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I, we were having a, we had our group text going during the game. And I, I said at one point, I kind of really want Baycott and Theo to fight because mm-hmm. as, oh. as much as I would hate to not have Theo, if Carolina didn't have Baycott and we didn't have Theo. No, 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 no. no Chad, don't give him that much credit. Don't give him that much credit because Baycott cannot do that against a man. No, you're right. No I'm, not, I'm not trying to give credit. I'm not trying to give I'm not trying to give Baycott any credit. It's just he's the closest thing they have to a true center. Manic guarding Mark. <laughs> Manic guarding anybody. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> anybody. especially down low. And then what? I mean, yeah, Leaky would probably stay on Paulo in that sense, but then who guards AJ? Right. And I thought, AJ? Le- I thought Le- I thought Leaky actually did a really good job on oh. Paulo. But I thought I thought that was actually more Paulo being soft. Than anything, I, I don't want to. I'm gonna time go. out. Time oh, out. We got. No, 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 no. Gotta, I know. I know you both want this. So I'm, I know you both want this. So I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say my piece, and then once you guys come at me. Well, I think Paul is the best player in the country. Jay Billis said this multiple times during during the, uh, the telecast, where Paulo can dominate down low. There was way too many times where he was settling for off balance jumpers, playing with the ball outside, just dominate down low. He did a better job of that in the second half. But, you know, he had 13 points. I, by the way, I'm just going to predict this right now. He's going to have 30-plus in the second meeting. Just mm-hmm. put that put that in Sharpie right now. Yep. He will have 30-plus in the second meeting. I thought this was a l- little bit of an eye-opening experience for Paulo where he wasn't the best player on the floor last night. You're right. Take it. You're right. You're right. He wasn't the best player on the floor. I've seen this take for the last 24 hours. I've seen – Paulo was. I've, I've seen. I've seen it as far as Paulo is the worst player we had last night. Oh, brother. Okay, no, that's just right. Wrong. I mean, I'm not, and, I'm not based, dumb enough. And that's based solely on the box minus. They're like, oh, he's the only player we had because this is true. This is true. He's the only player statistically who had a negative box minus against UNC last night. Cool. What does that tell me? That tells me based on what you're saying about him being soft and not taking the yeah. ball inside and doing the other things that he was doing and taking bad shots, which I've seen he's taking horrible shots. He takes the worst shots on the team, this and that. And what, ha- wh- where does he go? If, if, tell me this, if let's go with Theo, if Theo decided to shoot four threes in a game, where would he be? Would he be on the bench? Yes or no? Of course. Okay. 
if let's say if, if if Mark decided to shoot five threes in the game, would he be on the bench? And Mark's one, one for two on his players. threes that he's taken this season in uh, games, Tartum, whether Jeff, or not Tartum. they've counted. Tartum, sure. Jeff. <laughs> but would he be on the bench if he took five threes in the game? <laughs> it depends if he made them. Well, first of all, okay. <laughs> well, I, 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 mid-range I think, mark. Look, I think there's a logical fallacy that you're trying to make here, which I don't even understand where you're going okay, with well, don't let, let me finish yeah, it. No, if Mark bricks last five game. threes, then yes. Last game against Notre Dame, Jeremy Roach made some bonehead plays, and where did he go? Straight to the bench, did he not? With okay, a hurt well, Trevor, Trevor well, Keith. Well, 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 Paulo Boncaro is still playing in almost every minute of every game. If he was so bad, then they would have pulled him. They are letting Paulo do his work. He is the best player on every floor that we ever step on this entire season. And what do you do with a player like that? You let him practice. Every single one of these games for Paulo in college is motherfucking practice. <laughs> this dude yeah, is too, Jack, he's he's okay. too, he is him, too Jack. good. I this is I I I'm, I feel like I'm defending RJ Barrett because the same shit was said about uh, RJ it's four true. years ago. He okay, is, no, no, he is no, the no, best no, play. No, 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 no. I'm going. Let me go. Okay, go ahead. Okay, Let go me ahead. go. Uh-huh. This hey, is hey, my CM hey. Punk moment. Let me go. <laughs> this is <laughs> my soapbox right now. Pipe bomb. This is my pipe bomb, baby. Paulo Boncaro is the best player in college basketball. He should 100%. be the number one pick. All the discussions about him not being number one is insane. 100%. Generational talent. Any floor he steps on is practice for him. So let him figure it out. He's a 19-year-old kid. Yeah, he's going to make bad decisions. Some of the – I'm not I'm not defending every single one of his de- decisions. Yes, he made some bad plays, turns his back to the basket sometimes, tries to post up from the free throw line, some of the dumb stuff he does. Yes, that happens. But this dude works harder than anybody in that locker room. He knows where his money is going to be made one day. This dude is amazing at the game of basketball. If you can't see it, you're stupid. And anybody saying that he was our worst player last year, he is a decoy. They put Leaky Black on Paolo Boncaro. Their best quote-unquote defender is on Paolo. He has 100 pounds on the dude and about six inches. Like, yes, Paolo could have taken him to the block. Kate could have said, Paolo, go straight to the block 10, 10 times in a row. And Paolo would have done it because he wants to win for his team. He will do that. But Kay is letting him figure it out. Because guess what? In March, when we are down and we are not hitting shots, and AJ is not shooting 50% from three, and Trevor's not doing what he needs to do, we're going to need somebody like Paulo against a Baylor or an Arizona or a Kansas to go out and do what he does. And you're going to want him to do that right now in these practice games, because that's what these are at this point. This is practice. The ACC is motherfucking practice because they can't <laughs> bowl with us. This is Duke, baby. This is what we do. <laughs> Let's go! I can't follow that up as dramatically. (laughs) Jack, don't even try. I want to talk a little bit. All right, so all I'm going to say, yes, yes, the ACC is is light work for Paulo. I'm going to agree on that completely. The thing is, yeah, Leaky Black, he is a a very good defender. He's probably going to be all defense in the ACC. He's not the best defensive player in the ACC. That, That goes to Mark, in my opinion. However... Leaky Black is one of the better perimeter defenders in the conference. Leaky Black has – he would have the clamps badge in 2K, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, um, so the, guy, the guy will not let you get by him. And Paulo has, is just so used to working guys on the perimeter, he can just spin right by, just do a little spin move, and bam, he wide open in the paint. Notice that every time K called for Paulo to be on the block against Leaky Black, Paulo went to the block against Leaky Black and got a bucket. Mm-hmm. Kay's work. letting Paulo work in the middle. Yeah. Like just middle of the floor, free throw line area. Kay's yeah, letting yeah. him do that. He's getting his buckets. Paulo's not the worst player. Paulo's the best player. Just 
He's the best Everything AC sport. said, very true. Absolutely true. Black just has like he has clamps. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything bad about that. He's a good defender. I respect him in that sense. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I I don't know who was saying he's the worst player on the floor. That's the dumbest thing I've ever that's heard. Um that's just that's just asinine. But I will say, you know, I thought he was the second best player on the floor. Obviously, we're gonna touch oh, on totally. that. On, we're gonna touch mm-hmm. on that guy. But AC, mm-hmm. I want to keep it with you. I, I'm gonna put my wife in my own hands here. But <laughs> you texted something to us to our group chat today that I want you to expand on, and you both kind of touched on it a little bit and explained a hair about what you're talking about. AC, talk about Kay letting him do that and where you actually see Kay. You, know, you said the coin and all those different things, but you were talking to me about what you actually think Kay is doing and where Apollo is going to end up at the end of the season. I think when we get in the tournament, all, all Duke fans are going to say, oh, see, Kay listens to us because this is what we were talking about. And I told you so. Duke fans are going to say that. Dummies. Like, he, he knows what he's doing. Shut, shut up. Yes, like he is, he's taking outside shots. He's taking shots that you don't like because you can't hit them in your rec league. Like, this is. Speak for yourself. For, <laughs> from, from November into March, it is all about posturing, decision making, and figuring out what works for your team and what doesn't. And right now, we said it, we said this exact same thing back in, in November when people didn't like some of the mid-range shots that Paulo took. And we were like, paulo has got to take these shots so he can get used to it. It's practice. He's got to get used to it in games. He's got to get used to it at game speed. And what did he start doing? He started hitting the mid-range. And now all you see is Duke fans saying they want Paulo with a mid-range. Well, back in November, you, you Duke fans said you didn't want Paulo in the mid-range. You said you wanted them down on the block. And so now he's hitting the mid-range shot. And so now you like it. But now you don't like it when he takes a crossover step back two or a crossover step back three at 6'10", 250, which is absolutely absurd. And, but you don't like it right now because he misses the shot. Yes, because he's working on it in game speed against a game plan, against the other team's best defender, quote unquote. So it, it is a process. The whole season is a process. We want instant gratification, and that's not what's going to happen. But I promise you, when March comes around, and this is the reason why we are going to get number six, is because they are letting they, – we have the luxury to let Paulo do this right now. We have that luxury. Other teams in the past have not had that same luxury. This team is so dominant that we have the luxury to let guys play around and figure out what they need to do at game speed. So that's my only point. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that that's absolutely right. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit because I think that we talked about this on, you know, when Trevor came back, when Trevor Kills came back, we said, we kind of threw it out there to, to Duke Nation, like, who do you want to see as the sixth man when Trevor comes back? Would it be Roach? Would it be AJ? Would it be Trevor? Jack, I kind of feel like since Trevor last night, you know, obviously he's only second game back. Thank God he came back the game before because I thought, you know, get get his, you know, fields back and that kind of stuff. Came back 20 minutes, three of six from the field, three of four from three, handed the ball a little bit, two of two from the line, which, by the way, well, let's give credit to Trevor because at the beginning of the year, not a good free throw shooter, he's, he's bounced that back up. He had three rebounds, two assists, one steal. I thought he played really, really well defensively as well. I want to talk about Trevor Keels. I think this is a perfect spot for him being the sixth man right now. Oh, I have to agree. This is the role that I'm sure the coaching staff envisioned for Trevor when he when he signed. 
Mm-hmm. This is this is a guy who I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah, he's he's like he's not quite ready for the pros. I don't think personally. I mean, that's that's a decision that he himself and he alone is going to have to make. But this is a guy who is he's really wide framed at six five. He can play one, two, or three. He can slot in really well, and he's he's just able to be that really good spurt. Like I don't know if you guys remember. I think before he got injured what was it like 10 of the 17 games that we play at this time started off with a Trevor kills three. Yep. He's a spark plug. Mm-hmm. And I think off the bench is the perfect spot for him right now with it, this insanely talented team that has five projected first round picks. Um, I don't think that it's a bad thing to be a sixth man on this, on a team with this level of talent. I think, I think Trevor is an incredible talent and i really i think he's he's an all-around get it done player three for four from three mm-hmm. when it was still pretty clear to me that he was not a hundred percent at least on the offensive uh, I agree. End. Yep. yeah that's yeah. pretty impressive especially against unc like come on i it's i know unc's not unc of the last of, no 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 chat don't see you know that, that, I mean. that, they have the best <laughs> coach that they've ever had oh uh, yeah <laughs> So, Best coach since, that, uh, yeah. since Guthridge and Doherty. Yep. <laughs> but <laughs> look, he played that that way in a rival game. He dropped 25 on Kentucky. He's mm-hmm. he's a good player, and I really like him in this sixth man role, personally. Same. Yeah, and continuing with the theme of this podcast where TK was wrong, uh, AC, <laughs> you and I are both wrong on this, that we thought that AJ would be the better fit for the sixth man based on the relationship that Jeremy and Keels had it together. Right. Um, I think I think we're both wrong here, admitting this that Keels is perfect, like Jack said, for the six man role. Would you say that? Yep, absolutely. And this is his most efficient game probably since the year twenty twenty one. Probably against that Virginia Tech or Elon game, and this is his most efficient game from three since Gardner Webb all the way back in November of twenty twenty one. So he he's been wildly inefficient. He's been trying like the same things we said about AJ and how he was going to have to find his role has been happening in Trevor. He he's been searching for a role. And I think he found one in being the guy who comes off the bench to sub for Jeremy as the facilitator. Cause we talked about it last game when he and Jeremy played together, it was almost like the Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other. Like who's yeah. going to, who's going to throw the ball to somebody this game. He subbed for Jeremy and he was the one facilitating the offense. He only had two assists, but he was still facilitating. Jeremy was out. They came in a couple times together, but you know, and nothing really pertinent happened, but they at least started to play well together again. He was finding his shot, rounding into form. And again, he can sub in for whoever. Does Wendell need a blow? Trevor's got you. Does AJ need a blow? Trevor's got you. Because he's a big two guard. Like he's the he's AJ would be a perfect six man, and so would Trevor, but we just didn't think Trevor would be the one to go to the bench because he started out so hot on the season. Yep. So I, I, I think this is the rotation going forward. I think this is a perfect rotation going forward. And Last, if last night is evidence as opposed to anomaly, then watch out because it's, it's dangerous to be able to bring a Trevor Keels off of your bench. That is oh, yeah. st- stupid to be able to do. Stupid. All right, so we haven't really talked about him enough. He's going to get his entire segment to himself. Let's go. 11 of 17. Let's go, from three. Let's go. Perfect two of two from the line. A pump of bullshit calls against him, mm-hmm. especially the one in the first half when he's driving, getting called yeah. for a phantom offensive foul, where even Jay Bills is like, yeah, there's nothing there. <laughs> Complete garbage. 27 points, four boards. AC, my goodness, is it hyperbolic to say this? He's pushing Paulo now to be the number one pick in the draft. 
I said it. There we go. De- depending on what a, the draft is about, what a team needs, depending on what a team needs. No, I don't. I don't think that it's hyperbolic to push that that scenario. He is before the season started. We talked about AJ Griffin being a top one, two, three pick in the draft, and then he didn't play. Didn't play well to start. All the other things that happened, and then suddenly. At one point, I want to say the lowest point, AJ, ESPN had AJ as like the 31st best prospect in the draft. <laughs> no, 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 no. They had him at number six. They had him at number 24 in the high school rankings. So it was the high school rankings. But what, one of the draft rankings had him as right, low right, as right. second round. Yeah, that's you're, clown you're correct. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but anyway, it, it's just because he wasn't playing. There was a point in time. There was actually literally a point in time where Duke fans were like, Hey, do you think AJ should stick around for another year because of how he started? Because he was injured, like right, right, right. But but you could see the talent, the level of talent, the size, the athleticism. He still hasn't flashed the actual athleticism. Like he got that nice dunk last night, ridiculous, by the way. Yeah, yeah. But he hasn't he hasn't flashed the sick athleticism that he had in high school. Like because again, because of that injury. So, but one thing he is doing, we talked about it. He's getting inside. He's yep. driving now on top of the ridiculous 52% in conference three-point shooting that he's putting up. Like, no, it's not a stretch at all to say that he deserves and probably will be one of the top picks in the draft. Oh, he certainly will be one of the top picks. And I'm glad you brought up the driving inside because, Jack, you know, we talked about this last week where a couple of the drives he had against Louisville, a couple of drives he had against Notre Dame, were to me the eye-opening thing. That was like the light bulb thing for me where I wanted to see him be comfortable enough to do that. Well, now it's lights out because you can't stop him from three, so you have to come out on him, and he's going to now drive on you. You have no chance against A.J. Griffin. Oh, for sure. I mean, before the season, I said that he reminded me, at least offensively, of Mike Dunleavy. He's shattered that. Yeah. And he's 18 years old. Yeah. It's 18 years old outplaying the 21 year old Mike Dunleavy that was on that 02 team. Like, uh-huh. my goodness. At and Mike Dunleavy was what, six, what, six, the third right? pick in the draft? Yeah, he was third. Right. Yeah. Will was two. I mean, you think about that. A guy like him, a guy like Mike Dunleavy would definitely be a top three pick nowadays. 100%. Oh, yeah. AJ yeah. Griffin is better than that and has the same skill set. And think about it. And I don't even think that's ridiculous to say. And that's yeah. how good Mike Dunleavy was that good. He was an All American his, his junior year. Like, that's how good AJ is now. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Yeah, like if you look at, wait, check, like if you look at the stats right now, like he's averaging 10 points a game. But that doesn't actually factor in the mm-hmm. time that he really wasn't ready and he's coming off an injury. So like the, the stats are a little bit misleading overall. He, he is, we said this before, he's 1A or 1B, like depending on the game, right? Mm-hmm. So he's just that good, Jack. I think that like, if you're scouting for Duke now, you're in trouble. Uh-huh, for sure. Yeah, like, he's he's up there just in general with best players in the country. He's up there. He's I, I think he's playing at an all-American level right now. Yeah. I think he might he might not get the uh he might not get the nod at the end of the year just because of that slow start. Okay. With I mean, I don't know. I personally think it's a little hard to to play your best when you haven't played a full season since you were 15 years old <laughs> and you have a you you have a knee you're coming off a knee sprain so bad that the initial fear was dislocation. Think about that for a second. Like this is his injury was very similar to what sideline Harry Giles and this is what we wanted this is what we like hoped would happen with Harry 
because Harry was one of the greatest high school prospects you could ever see. Oh my God. Chris, Webber, Chris, Chris Weber 2.0. Yep. And you really hope that you, know, you hope that by February, Harry would be able to put it together and he just couldn't, he played well. I'm not saying he didn't, but he just couldn't do the things that you knew Harry Giles could do. AJ oh, Griffin yeah. is doing the things that we knew AJ could do plus more. And it is insane. Yeah, this guy, he's NBA ready day one. He's he's going to – I think he's going to be a 40-plus percent three-point shooter like by by the all-star break next year. Yeah. Wherever he is, he, he – like we've seen what Unless Gary – Unless he goes to Thibodeau because then Thibodeau won't play. Ugh, I hope he doesn't. <laughs> I'm mad that Cam's not getting that oh run. My God. But the, all that aside, yeah, yeah, yeah. you see what Gary Trent's doing right now in yep. the NBA, and A.J. Yes. Griffin has the potential to be that and more by the end Much of more. the Much more. And that's By the end of his second that's season. That's not a slight on Gary Trent, by the way. No, I love Gary Trent very much. He's averaging 18 points per game. He's a he's shooting like between 39 and 43. I can't remember percent from deep, averaging multiple steals a game. Mm-hmm. AJ Griffin is going to be better. He has and Gary of, Trent is impressive. AJ AJ has Hall of Fame level talent. He, he does. And, and that's, a, not a, 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 that's not a, an exaggeration. A, you said that before the year even started. Yeah, like this, the class, this class in general has a couple of Hall of Famers in it. And when I said that, Paulo was in mind, AJ was in mind, a couple other guys that I won't even mention because they don't play for Duke or in mind. But it's I mean, because but, we beat the crap out of one of them, <laughs> and, and and the other one didn't show up. Correct. And so, <laughs> like, like what what AJ Griffin is doing right now is it's stupid for coming off of not having played competitive basketball in two years. Yeah, AC, I wanna I wanna kind of cut you off there because I think mm-hmm. that's something you need to really emphasize jack said it before where he really hadn't played an entire year of mm-hmm. basketball since he was 15 16 years old that's how good that you know the one thing i'll give the recruiting uh science credit for is they kept him in the top 10 for the most part for the most uh, part yeah. for, the, for the most part right so they understood the level of talent and you're starting to now see it and he just turned 18 he's during so our season Correct. Like or just just before, excuse me, just before our season, he and Trevor have birthdays two days apart, and they both just turned eighteen just before our season this year. It's like that's sick, man. And the fact that he's doing all of this right now without flashing, really, truly flashing a single bit of his ridiculous athleticism is insane. Like there was there was a play earlier in the year when he was just rounding in the shape where they yep. threw, tried to throw yep. him an alley. Yeah, 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 yeah. He caught it at the play. top of the backboard, yep. and it was like, yo, what the fuck? And then, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, some of the other things. But, like, he hasn't shown his athleticism or really his defense yet. He was known for defense coming in, in college. So it, it's just he still has room to grow, which is super scary, right? Like, that's that's off the charts. And they're starting to run plays for him. He had some plays run for him. Usually most of the plays run for him right now are ISO. They're running some button hooks for him. They're running some curls for him. They're running some back screens and things for him now, which is awesome to see. It it he still has room to go up, which is nuts. Because <laughs> I don't think I don't think anybody else on this team has room to go up except for him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's more or less pretty accurate. But one of the things, Jack, that I wanted to touch on is that at the end of the game, when we needed a bucket, you know, against Clemson, we went to Paulo on the block. Mm-hmm. And I think going forward. That's going to be the recipe for us, Jack. But now it's like, okay, wait a minute. We have that option already set in stone. But now we also have AJ who can hit a shot from literally everywhere on the court, as he showed against Louisville at the end of the half. He can hit a shot from pretty much anywhere. So now you have that, plus you have Paul. How exactly, if you're an opposing coach 
do you scheme or try to defend that at the end of the game situation or end of half situation? Well, you can't guard the inbound. Uh, <laughs> because <laughs> K's out of bounds plays have been sick this year. Yeah, but and, his, uh, and historically, yeah, this was this was a '92 reference for those who uh, do not. I got it, Jeff. I, got I know it. you guys got it. I know you guys got it. But... For the amateurs out there, yes, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, you got, you got so many threats. You got so many threats on the court. You got Wendell Moore, who is still who can still get his buckets. You have Trevor Keels, who has shown himself to be pretty clutch you have aj griffin who is shooting literally 50 percent from three you have paulo Banquero, who is Stuck. literally like has the potential to be kevin durant with a wider frame what i i don't know how you guard late game anyone on this team yeah, i guess me, you throw me... you throw every like leave jeremy open and what's he gonna do he's gonna hit a pull-up three he's done that multiple mm-hmm. times let me, let me, let me, I'll give you the, uh, the coach, coach talk before the game. This is what, this is what, uh, Kansas is going to, this is what Bill Self is going to say in the locker room before Duke plays them in the tournament this year. All right. God. All right, guys, listen. All right. Paulo's going to beat our ass. All right. AJ's going to beat our ass. Mark's going to dunk on your head and celebrate. But man, if you guys go out there and drink that Gatorade on the bench, <laughs> then you'll be hydrated, boys. Let's go. <laughs> like, that's all you got. That's all you got because you. Can't uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, w- I wish K could have come out with that against Gonzaga and Kentucky, but well, he knew he well, like he AC said, he was he was saving it. He was he saving it. You're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, he was saving it. Um, all right. Speaking of ACC Player of the Year, uh, oh, you mean Armando Baycott? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Armando. Bay- oh, he, oh, yeah, what, Jack, what, what, Jack, Jack, what are you yeah, talking yeah. about? Jack, I'm talking about had- what Huber said. No, no, ACC is he's the ACC, in my opinion. He is by far the best player in the ACC. He had a huge game last night, 4 of 10, uh, 12 points, 5 boards, uh, one of them Get offensive. It. He had a couple of mean mugs, which is impressive. I gotta, Get I, him, I, I, I'm going to tell him right now that, honestly, when you mean mug somebody when you're down 28, that is impressive to me. I thought that was very impressive. He had a block. I'm not even sure which one that was because it must have been some kind of gift. Who's the ACC player of the year? Someone, anyone, both of you. Someone take it. Oh, it's Armando Paycock. Because it's not Armando (laughs) Paycock. It's Paolo and it's AJ. It's both of them. Mark for DPOY. I mean, 100%. Uh, Honestly, God, I want to talk about ACC player of the year, and I want to be real. Obviously, there are plenty of candidates. But realistically, and uh, Mm -hmm. let's be honest here. Let's let's take the blue shades off a little bit. Mm -hmm. Does... AJ actually have a shot at ACC Player of the Year? Is it too far gone? Statistically, I think he's too far gone. I, yeah. I don't. I don't think statistically because in in house against ACC, he's thirteen point six points a game, one or four rebounds a game, one assist. Like he doesn't have the numbers, All right, to justify the voters saying, "Yeah, you deserve ACC Player of the Year," which is fine. That's cool. If he, if, if he goes off in the next, you know, eight games or whatever it is. Sure, sure. If he goes nuts and scores 27 a game the next eight games, then yeah, his stats are going to look like, okay, yeah, he belongs up there. But but I don't see that happening. It could happen. I don't see it happening, though. But but right now, I think the front runner is Paulo. Even though he hasn't won an ACC Player of the Week award yet, other than Rookie of the Week, which is insane. Bullshit. Yeah. He's won one every week we've played, and he's won, like, what, three or four in a row now? Yeah. And and that'll that'll end now. That'll yeah. end now. But but yeah. um, 
but but you I mean you have guys that the voters are gonna try to be too smart for their own good and they're gonna say Alondis Williams or Darian Sebron, who are all good players. And you can say that they're good players and not vote them ACC player of the year. You can have sure. both. That's what the Paolo, first team is for. Right. Paolo, well, that, that, that was actually gonna be my next question. It's on uh AC, but that was gonna be my next question. So honestly, like Williams from Wake Forest, he's averaging twenty points and seven rebounds a game, five and a half assists almost. Like shooting fifty, like look, the guy he's had a phenomenal year, and Wake has overachieved. And I know, especially when you talk about coach of the year, they always give it to the guy that overachieved, right? Based on preseason expectations, so he absolutely deserves a spot on the first team. No questions asked in my mind. The question is going to be for for educated voters, Jack. Is are they going to look at that and say, okay, well, he just had the best numbers, or are they going to look at Paul and be like? Powell on an off game had 13 and 10. You know what I'm saying? Like he had 13 and 10 and was one A. I mean, in that game, he was still the second best player on the court and he didn't even have his best. And I have a close to his best up. It was a C game for him. 13 and 10 was a C game for him. Yeah. Um, Paulo is sixth in the conference in scoring. That being said, Paulo is the best all around player that we have. Like we as in the ACC in college basketball. I'm not, well, obviously college basketball. I just, I'm limiting this conversation just to the ACC. Fair, fair, fair. So if you look, you look around the conference, like, yeah, you see a guy like Alondas Williams, who's the best player on an iffy team. You look, you look around, you see Buddy Beheim, who uh, (laughs) I I remember, I remember him in the tournament. Like I'm old enough, Jack, I'm old enough to remember when he went like one of 15 from, the field against Duke mm-hmm. this year. I was going to say, I remember him in the tournament last year. I don't remember him against Duke this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, I, well, that's because he was one of one of 17 Bayheims, you know, that was at the game. Yeah, yeah. Two guys named Jim Bayheim on the team. One's a coach, one's that's a tough. player. That's tough. Yeah. All, that, all that said, all that said, I really, I think the guys ahead of Paulo are very one-dimensional, and Paulo is not. Just at the in the scoring ranks, I think he's Again, he's putting up like what's it's seventeen and seven and a half right now, seventeen and eight. Seventeen and a half and eight and a half, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I one block a game. Oh yeah, so two and two and a half assists, one steal, one block. Yep. I mean like and he's shooting fifty percent from the field, seventy four and a half from he's, from the line. Like, he's almost forty percent from three. He's like thirty nine percent, right? No, he's thirty two in ACC play, but whatever. Well yeah, that's ACC play. We're, I yeah. thought it I thought player of the year was supposed to be a holistic thing, not just conference play. Get him. Get him, Jack. I'm just saying, I'm just saying this is, I'm not even trying to be like that. I'm saying that's honestly how I've always taken the award because we've seen guys who had great out of conference um, play and very average conference play win the award. And the other thing you got to look at, Um, and the other thing you got to look at is just, which they, the voters will look at a little bit, but they won't look at, just look at the conference as a whole. Wake Forest will limp into the tournament. Miami might get into the tournament. I think Florida State is almost done with the tournament. Oh, like, their U- three best players are all done for right. the year. They're U- done. UNC, UNC might back into the tournament just no because they're called shit. UNC, but they no shouldn't. Way. They shouldn't. No. They shouldn't. And they shouldn't, State, but I think NC they State will. State won't get in the tournament, even as, as good as Darion Sebron's playing. So you have to look at part of Duke's team is – an elite team in college basketball and Paulo Boncaro is the best player on an elite team. Like 
voters just do do the right thing voters and just say Paula Bunker is the best like just do the right thing you can vote you can put Buddy Bayheim as your ACC player of the week which he has been and and Paulo hasn't been ACC player of the week you can do that that's fine but do not vote him over Paulo when you when it comes to voting for ACC player of the year do not do that it is stupid and I'm, I'm tired of these voters trying to outsmart everyone it's it's dumb <laughs> oh AC went right right at what I was trying to go around, but I got to say, it should just go to the best player on the best team, which is Paulo, no questions asked. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's really fair. And look, I, I keep saying we have either eight or nine games left because we don't know we're going we're gonna to make up that one. But let's just say we have nine games left. If Paulo just keeps being him and we, which, let's be honest, we should run the table, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so we run absolutely. the table, we run the table, right? And we're now 18 and two. You gotta give it to Paul. Yeah, absolutely. But unless uh, AJ, unless AJ does something ridiculous, which he, which he's capable of, mm-hmm. uh, then I, I don't see a, a way that Paul doesn't get it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that. Okay. So we, you guys kind of touched on this a little bit. We've talked about Kansas multiple times. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is in the water, but I feel like we're destined to play Kansas. I want to talk about the rest of the country, where we kind of see it in tournament time, all those sorts of things. Right now, you look at like you know the Joey brackets and all this other stuff that <laughs> where they do it every day and they update it every eight hours. On which I don't even understand how anybody has time for that. We're right now like a two seed. We we fluctuate between two and three. Look, we run the table. We're going to be we're going to be a number one seed. It's mm-hmm. not even a question. Nope. They were just like curb stomped by by Kansas. Oh, but they have more quad one wins. Oh! Than Congratulations, whatever Gonzaga. Yeah, exactly. Jack, you made my point for me. Gonzaga has the same situation, right? So, look, here's the the reality: is we we run the table, even if we go, we can go eight and one. We're going to be so far and away on number one seed. It's not going to be close. So, Mm -hmm. if you talk about a little bit about the rest of the country, and then kind of how we fit in, and where you kind of see us lining up, would it be if Kentucky is our two seed? Would it be? In Kansas, would it be on Baylor? Like what, 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 Purdue? Like where do you see this kind of lined up? I mean, it's it all depends on what the committee values because, like, the NET rankings has Duke right now at like number ten or eleven, and that's like, like it, everything, like everything everybody's basing the tournament on right now is statistical analysis, and that's silly because you can't you can't tell me because Duke only has what you call two upper tier wins against Gonzaga and Kentucky, that the team itself, the body work and everything else that they do, they, this is not a one seed. Like look at one seed. All you got to do is look at one seeds historically in a tournament. Like this is a one seed team. We are better than Auburn. We are better than Gonzaga. We're better than Purdue. We're better than Kentucky. We beat Gonzaga and Kentucky already. Like without the dude who's playing the best for our team right now and AJ Griffin, we just had a whole segment on it. So I don't want it continuously here, quad one, quad two, quad three, all, all that stupid stuff. Like, stop it. Stop it right now. <laughs> like, the body of work is itself. We've done what we're supposed to do. This te- it's clearly a one-seed team. And like you said, if we run the table, win the regular season, win the conference tournament, whatever else, this is a one-seed team. And, and we don't even need to debate that. Like, I, I've seen, I've seen Duke, plenty of Duke fans right now give up on the one-seed. It's like, oh, well, this Duke's a two-seed at best. Stop it. No, we're not. Stop it. No, we're not. Like, I hate. I, 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 AC, I, you know, you know, my pet peeve is the blanket mm-hmm. statements. Yeah. You know, it, it, it is, it's so stupid. And like, now we're, 
and now we're venturing into blanket statements based on statistical analysis. And it's like, what are these stats that you're looking at? Like, no, sorry. Like that, that, that doesn't equate. It doesn't compete. Look at UCLA right now. UCLA right now is number three in the NET. Shout and they out just Bobby got Hurley. Beat, right. Shout out to Bobby Hurley. They just got beat twice this week. Like, stop it. Like, no, they're, it, but people still want to say that UCLA is, even Duke fans still want to say statistically, UCLA is a, is a one seed more so than Duke. No, they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> so stop it. And if they're not a one seed, I'm sorry for whatever one seed they get put in their bracket. Yeah, you know, I always uh, historically was taking the uh, opposite approach, you know, when Duke was always going to be a one seed and it's like, oh, well, who's going to be the two or three seed or, or having to be the four seed in our region? I, I'm with the AC and Jack, you probably feel the same way. I feel bad for whoever's in our bracket at this point because we can play any style of basketball. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to be honest, I don't think we played anywhere close to our best game last night. Nope. I think I think UNC stinks, and I think we crushed their soul and took any soul they had left mm-hmm. in in their season, other than the fact that they have the best coach they've ever had. But <laughs> outside of that, Jack, I feel like anybody they put in our bracket, they're going to be they're going to fuck. We're going to do crap it. Oh, I have to agree. Um, I'm going to start by saying, for what it's worth, after the last few games, UCLA is now 14 in the net rankings. Woo! Yeah, Tell them, Jack. Yeah. Tell them. So. Tell them. Duke Duke's standing at ten, behind Silly. behind Auburn, Nova, Kentucky, Gonzaga's one. So Duke's beat one and four in the net rankings currently. Yeah. Um. And and we beat the hell out of Nova in a scrimmage. That's true. I'm gonna just, allegedly. allegedly allegedly allegedly. All I'm gonna say is this is very simple. Be scared because Duke mm-hmm. Duke wins in March. Coach yeah. K is the most wins of any coach in March yeah. Madness. So and, and it's not he's because he's coached the longest. That's not the reason. Exactly. Look at Bayheim. They've coached the same amount of time. Coach K's winning percentage, if you look at winning act, winning percentage, is one of the highest in NCAA history, other than John Wooden. So and and, uh, and um, uh, Adolph Rump. So yeah. All right. Cool. Two guys who played right. when photos were primarily black, or coach when photos were in black and white, and certain people couldn't vote. Uh-huh. Oh, and no, nah, don't don't even forget about the fact that there were what eight oh, boy, in the tournament. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's silly. The talk is silly. Like you're telling me Houston is better better than Duke. Stop it. Houston's not the third best stop team in the country. It. Houston's not a one seed. No, straight up no. Like just stop at that point. Yeah, yeah. The net. Here's the thing. The net. It's it's an evaluation tool. That's what the E and the T stand for. Yes. It is not supposed to be everything you use it is supposed to help it's like all advanced statistics it's coming from someone who who works with a lot of advanced numbers in sports these are things that are supposed to complement the eye test they are not supposed to replace the eye test duke is a one seed by the eye test compared like seeing how they play they don't control their in-conference strength of schedule so is it fair to say jack is it fair to say like the quad one quad two stuff and the net and all that is is more for the teams that are down like seven seed and below more so oh, than yeah. the teams that are like oh, one, God, two, yeah. And three. Yeah. It's for, it's for teams that are trying to make a case for an at large bit. If they don't win their conference. It, it, right. it is uh, honestly guys, it's literally what Syracuse is every single year. Yeah. Remember mm-hmm. when they have bitches and moans every single year about being a bubble team. And he asked to like, that's, that's what that's for. Yeah. Like if, if Kansas plays Baylor in the big 12 championship and Duke is right behind them, Duke wins the ACC championship. One of those two Big 12 teams, which Big 12 stinks, by the way, 
but one of those two Big 12 teams loses their championship game, how can you put one of the losers of their championship game over the team that won their conference title? How can you do that? Like, it doesn't make sense. So stop it with the quad one stuff. Cut it out with the advanced stat analysis. Like, cut it out, man. No, it doesn't work that way. Uh, Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, So what I want to talk about real quick is the four number one seeds right now, and we're talking Zaga, Auburn, Purdue, and Duke. Is that pretty much what we're all kind of saying right now? Or does anybody else have an actual right at this point because Baylor has lost a couple of times. He's just got blown out. Uh, not that that's, you know, look, we've gotten blown out by Miami in 2015. He's still got a number one seed. Well, mm-hmm. things happen during the games, during the regular season. I get that. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, if you're just kind of looking at everything right now, people are hyping up Kentucky. We beat them handily, whether whatever the score was, we beat them handily. We were going to blow out Gonzaga if Colo doesn't get the cramps. And they're the consensus number one after this week, right? And so, if AJ actually played, and AJ barely he barely touched the court. So, right. and and he's nowhere near the AJ that, that he is now. Auburn, give him credit; they've had a great year. We know we almost and probably should have lost to Georgia yesterday. Tom Crean is very disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do, do you see anybody else at the current moment? February sixth, two thousand twenty-two, year of our Lord. Do you see anybody else? right now that has an excuse for the number one seed outside of those four teams? No, personally, no, because some of the other teams are going to end up eating themselves. Like Auburn and Kentucky still have to play each other, and they got to play each other in the conference tournament. UCLA and Arizona still have to play each other. It's not discounting how good those teams are, but they still have to play each other, and it's all about body of work. Kansas has to play Baylor again, and they got to see them in the conference tournament, possibly. And if they don't see each other in the conference tournament, that means they lost to a lesser opponent, and they didn't get where they were supposed to get. So unless Duke loses in the first round or second round, whatever, of the ACC tournament, then we're we're good. Like, we have to take care of our own business. Yes, the ACC is not strong enough for us to sustain our body of work. But as long as we take care of business, then that doesn't mean we have to win out. We can lose one more game, and I think we'll still be good. But as long as we take care of our business, then it'll take care of itself, and we'll be a one seed. I'm not worried about it. Yeah, I mean, and then the other team that I keep seeing thrown out there, Jack, is Houston. They played Wisconsin and Alabama. They're only two decent teams that they played, not counting UVA because they stink. Um, but they've lost both of those games. This is this is a perfect time to uh, pull out the net rankings and talk about how shitty they're. How the fact, like how they have played two teams that are like decent quality, and they lost both of them pretty badly. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the fact that is the like the I don't consider the AAC a power conference obviously anymore. They suck, mm-hmm. and Houston like cool. Cool. Kelvin Stampson did some very bad things and Houston gave him a shot and he's been able to re like revitalize his career. Good for him. Houston is not good. Houston is not a two seed. Houston's a three or a four at best, in my opinion, honestly. And I'm, I'm sick of people saying that they should be a one seed if Duke isn't, I think, I think there are three solid one seeds at this point. I think it's it's Auburn, it's Gonzaga, and I honestly do think it's Duke. Yep. I think that the fourth the fourth one spot is wide open right now. I think it could be Purdue, but I don't really think they're it's one seed quality. Probably Purdue because the Ben Ted, Big Ten stinks too. There's, it's just such a down year for most power conferences. It's kind of a shame. 
it's true. I mean, the transfer between the transfer, and we're going to see yeah. this more often. Yeah, the transfer yeah, yeah, portal yeah. and some of the other things that are happening, it's it's going to be like that. Which you know, and and this year in particular, it's it just so happens that you have these four teams, like you just mentioned, that have essentially all of the NBA talent from college right now. Yeah. So, like AC, what I was going to say on that though is that you're hearing all these different bands from all these different conferences saying, and we're going to hear like, oh, this conference stinks. He stinks too, but the reality is, like you said, that it's top heavy. Mm-hmm. Like it's just top heavy. That's what it is. And yeah. so there are probably ten to twelve teams that rightfully think that they if they get hot, they can mm-hmm. win it all, and that's fair. And they're all at the top of their respective conferences, and the rest of the conferences stick. Absolutely, and and this is not to say anybody's invincible. Like Duke has lost to Miami, they've lost to Florida State. We can lose to anybody. Like that's that's how college basketball works, and that's how a one and done tournament works. But if you're saying this team versus this team, who's better? Duke is better than every team in the nation. So if you're going to say we're not a one seed, then that's I'm sorry, your your analysis is completely flawed. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. So that's kind of like a recap real quick. But I did mention UVA because that's who we play next. Play them Monday night. So we're going to transition to a couple couple predictions here. We got a couple games coming up. Obviously, pretty cliche here, but I think it's true, Jack, that the big question here is, does Duke have a letdown tomorrow night against UVA? I think that I think that Kay is prepared. I'm not gonna lie. I, I really I mean I think Kay's got the team prepared. Um UVA lost to Notre Dame, they lost to State, they lost to Wake, they got destroyed by Carolina, they lost to Clemson, they lost to James Madison. Shout oh, out to TK. Let's go Dukes! Let's go Dukes! Get up. Yeah, shout out to TK. They lost to Houston. Speaking they did, of Houston. They did beat Virginia Tech, though. So. Yeah, but they hey, also lost man. to Navy. Ah, how'd they get it in? Come how'd on, get man. It in? How'd they get it in? Go ahead, Jeff. They lost to Navy. Mm-hmm. The midshipmen? Yeah. Yes, they did. First game of the season. <laughs> First game of the season. Continue, Jeff. Downright embarrassing. Embarrassing resume. Um, well, they, they have won two in a row, though, and they did just dominate Miami. Okay, cool. They, they, they dominated <laughs> Miami. <laughs> and I'm up for that one. Like good, good for them. It took uh, what's his name? It took Franklin dropping twenty-two. They don't ever have someone drop more than like thirteen. Correct. UVA. They are not playing at the pace that Tony Bennett likes to play at. They're dropping a lot more than fifty points per game a lot of the time. So Duke's gonna have to try to keep it high pace. We've gone up against the pack line already this season against NC State, and we, we did pretty well. And I think State's a better team than Virginia this year. Yeah. Virginia's, what, 14-9? and nine? Okay, so. I mean, NC State is actually the last in the conference, so I don't want to talk to them. Look, they'll suck, <laughs> quite frankly. But I, I, look, here, I don't want to get too deep in the numbers here. I, I just want to know, AC, are we – Jack said it, and I agree with him, actually. Because I think Kay has been prepared so well mm-hmm. that this Duke team's pissed. Yeah. You know and, what I mean? I, I don't think there's going to be a lockdown here. And they've been bolstered by these road games. Like, we went on this three-game road road stretch. And one thing that road games can do for a team is bring a team together. And I think this Duke team is as together as you can possibly be. So we've done we've done the one-day break thing now. We did it last week. We looked shitty against Notre Dame after the one-day break. I think we're – 
like they've gotten used to that thing now. Like all you got to do is experience it once or twice and you're in. So yeah, it's it's going to be an ugly game because that's what UVA does with the with the pack line and with the blocker mover offense. Lots of screens, lots of tough play on the interior on defense. But how do you beat the pack line? We have done an incredible job of beating their pack line for the last almost decade now that Tony Bennett has been there. You drive it to death and you work the interior. You don't sit outside and shoot threes. That's what they want you to do. But you go inside and you get it. And this team can go inside and get whatever shot they want. We've done it all season. So um, if this is not the game that I think we're going to sit around, shoot the three, stay on the outside, all that. We are going to attack the hell out of UVA, who doesn't have the athletes, who doesn't have the size, who doesn't have the talent to keep up with our team this year. This is not the UVA national championship type squad. We're going to beat the hell out of UVA. And it's going to be a low scoring game, but give me 75 to 55 against UVA tomorrow. 20 points. Jack, what do you got? It'll never be 20 against UVA. Come on. <laughs> Come on. We always play down to them pace-wise. I think if it's 10, I'm, I'm content with 10. So I'll, I'll say 10. Did you want to put a score next to that? Or are you just going to... I'm very <laughs> not good. I You have a great point. <laughs> I don't like predicting scores against Virginia because it's so unpredictable. I'm going to say Duke wins by 10. I can't guess a score because I don't know how Tony Bennett is. Fair enough. I'm, I'm going to sign with you on this one, Jack. I'm going to go... 70 to, to 59. I think that's what the end of the score is going to be. It's going to be lowest scoring for us. Now, we, then we go to two road games in a row Saturday. Say, when Tony Bennett ahead, was there, last time when Tony Bennett, we have beaten them by 15 when Tony Bennett was there. Right. We beat them at UVA 56 to 41. The game was 76 to 60. Hold him 15 accountable. and 16. So I'm just saying it's right, possible. Hold, hold him accountable. All right. So we got two road games after that Saturday. At Clemson, 8 p.m. game on your favorite, the ACC Network. Gross. Um, so all your favorite commercials will be on. AC, give me a score here. We've seen them once before. We know what they're going to do. Brownell had his little moment. We're going to be playing at Clemson, which they're going to come up jazzed up. But once again, we've been on the road now. So I don't see us losing this game. Give me Duke. We'll be back in the 80s with this one. Give me Duke 82. Give me Clemson 74. Yeah, I'm pretty close. I'm 81-69 there. Jack, what do you got? I was going to say 86-77. to 77. Okay, a little higher scoring. Love that. All right, so then we got BC after that on Q12. Jack, what do you got for this one? BC never, never once has actually actively possessed my brain. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, not to diss on them, but since they joined the ACC with the exception when they had – of all people, Mr. Irrelevant himself, Jared Dudley. Yes, sir! <laughs> As a Sixers fan, I can't stand the guy. Oh, man. Just, ugh, he's such an annoying guy. But for real, looking at them, <laughs> they, they don't score that much, and they allow more points than they've scored. They, they're like a 65-point-per-game team. I think it's going to be about 73 to 60. Yeah, I want to correct myself real quick. It's Thursday that we play Clemson. That's my bad. All Duke Nation. TK has been wrong a number of times. This is another <laughs> one. Thursday. Accountability is nice. Yeah, yeah, Accountability is always here. This game's on Saturday. So for me, I think we blow them out. Give me 84 to 59. Oh, I yeah, like that. If, <laughs> if, if this game's even closer, if we lose, then somebody has money on the game, on the team. That's That's my opinion on this. BC, BC sucks. Ted Valentine, somebody. BC sucks. Makai Ash and Langford's their best player. They have a dude from the Netherlands. So 
it, the touch? Yep, yep. And just like Nick Vanderlane, he's going to get dunked on. Dante Jones, this time it's going to be AJ Griffin with the dunk, highlight reel, something for the fans because this is a stupid game. I don't even know why it's scheduled. Give me Duke 90, give me BC 60. Oh, and there we have it. there. I yeah, love, that, it. love that too. There we have it. That is the Five Point Play podcast dedicated to Hubert Davis GoFundMe. We want to make sure you guys get all your donations in. He's the best coach you he's ever had, and we want to keep this rivalry going strong. So please get your donations in 100 AC, 100 percent of the it. donations. Every single bit of it. Every single one. Uh, and if you guys have another donation site other than GoFundMe, please let us know. We will consider everything. We are not taking a dime from this, even though if you want to throw a couple dollars our way, we will. I will say this, though. Go fucking Duke. Let's go Duke! Save Hubert! <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the 5 Point Play Podcast. The number one Duke fans podcast. Check us out at Instagram at 5 Point Play Podcast. That's the number 5 Point Play Podcast. And on Twitter, 5 Point Play Podcast. Go Duke!